Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hi, everybody. I'm Bo Berman, and this is Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, their methods, their best practices, and some personal stories from the trenches of journalism. And today, we have a very fascinating guest, different than any guest I've had on Reporter before. It is Jessica Stumpf, who has gotten out of the uh, broadcasting business, at least for now, um, but for several years now. And uh, Jessica is the Deputy Director of Emergency Management in Greenville County, South Carolina, and has been working her way up the ranks of that field for a number of years now. But it comes after a number of successful years in uh, broadcast uh, media as, as a meteorologist uh, or as a, a forecaster. So, uh, Jessica, thanks for uh, joining Reporter, and I'm excited to, to delve into, uh, you know, some career updates from you. Thanks so much for having me, Bo. This is actually my first podcast. I have not been on a podcast yet. <laughs> well, there, there's a first time for almost everything. Um, so there is. So, that is exciting. Yeah, um, very cool to, to, to have you join this podcast. Um, and so, you know, I thought you'd be a good person to have on because number one, um, you, you know, have, have lived this life. You have, you know, worked for a, a local news TV station or stations. Um, and, uh, and then also, you know, I think it's fascinating for people who've either gotten out of the business, um, which actually right now I'm out of the business, uh, probably mm-hmm. temporarily, uh, maybe forever. Well, you never know, but probably temporarily. But yeah, I mean, people who are out of the business or someone who might be considering um, jumping out of the business of, of, you know, broadcasting to kind of hear, you know, some of your reasoning and how it's been going and, you know, Mm -hmm. do you ever miss it and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, we'll kind of dive right in, but first let's, let's establish like who you are, um, and, and what you've done, um, in your prior TV career. So I know that you, you went to, uh, the greatest, uh, college on earth. You went to Penn state. Um, that's right. We are, (laughs) we are Penn state. Uh, had a really tough loss yesterday to uh, Minnesota. Oh, we did. Football we did. Wise. That was heartbreaking. Yeah, but you know, it's okay. There's there's more to life than football. But um, that was that's sad. right. Um, but you went to Penn State, and then your first uh, on-air job was was it in West Texas? No, it was actually at, at WTAJ in Altoona, Pennsylvania. It was um, while I was actually still at Penn State. I had I was one of those kids who was the super senior. I graduated a semester late, so I had that summer before my last semester to do something. And uh, after I, the previous summer, I had interned at WKBN in Youngstown, Ohio. And what I had thought I had scheduled for that summer fell through, unfortunately. And so Joe Mergo, who is the chief meteorologist still at WTAJ in Altoona, uh, came to me and said, hey, um, I need somebody to work on Sunday nights and fill in. Would you be interested? I said, sure. So I sent him my tape and his news director interviewed me. And for about six months while I was still in college, I got paid to work on Sunday nights and fill in whenever they needed me. So that's kind of how I got my start. And then they uh, decided in November of, I guess that was 2008, they decided that they were going to go with their other fill-in person full-time on the weekends, which left me having to try to find a job. And that's eventually how I ended up in West Texas. Got it. Yeah. So then that's when we met. Um, you were uh, starting, starting at uh, K-West, K-W-E-S uh, TV in, in Midland, Texas. 
Um, and speaking That's of right. work- Yeah, I came in February, February of 2009 when I, was when I started. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so about, about nine months after, um, or eight or nine months after I had began there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was fun. Fellow, uh, fellow Penn Stater out there in the middle of West Texas was, uh, was definitely fun. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was of- nice to know somebody from Penn State, you know, being out there in the middle of nowhere kind of seemed like, like, oh, finally, somebody at Penn Stater. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's, I was like pretty excited whenever I heard that, uh, that you were, you were coming to town as, as someone, uh, I could relate to on that level at least but um yeah it's funny you know you mentioned taking that job in college I mean was that was that difficult for you because I mean I think a lot of people who are you know whether they're a fourth year or fifth year senior they're they're kind of you know maxing out the last bit of time with their friends and you know some people are maybe having a couple beers or something like that but I mean so was that difficult for you to to you know work on Sunday nights while you were still in college I mean it was because it was a just a long drive uh that was before Interstate 99 was kind of finished going between State College and uh, Altoona. So, I mean, it, I wouldn't get home until well after midnight, you know, on Sunday night. So that kind of that kind of was a, a little bit of a hassle, you know, trying to get up for class on Sunday mornings. But during that summer, um, I was actually also working at Olive Garden as a server. So I had a couple of jobs going on that summer between uh, semesters and heading into my last semester. And I actually had a lot of classes my last semester. I kind of piled a bunch of um, I guess, requirements that you have to have, you know, like nutrition and ballroom dance and, you know, some other ones that I hadn't taken and gotten out of the way as prerequisites, I guess. So I had a bunch of those classes heading into my last semester. But overall, I think it was a really good experience. I got to learn a lot from that. It kind of, you know, at least got my foot in the door, I would say, of television for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I think that was huge. And I mean, I look back on things similar to that that I did, not something exactly the same. But I mean, I, I, I applied to like, uh, a station called WVHL or HVL, one of the two, HVL uh, in State College, which is like this kind of new station. It was like a My TV, you know, like one of those uh, kind of like fourth rate, you know, type of stations, whatever. And and all they had on in terms of like they, they just ran uh, like Family Guy reruns is all they did pretty much. <laughs> or like daytime talk shows, you know, Mari Povich. But the one thing they were going to start doing and why they were hiring people is they were going to launch a tailgate show, like a Penn State live tailgate show. And they needed like editors and writers and stuff. So they hired me. When my that would have been fun. Yeah, yeah. They hired me my yeah. senior year to be, an, to be an editor, uh, video editor. And I walk in and, and like the place was like under construction. It was so weird. Like it, it kind of felt like it was fake actually. And uh you know, they were like, all right, well, we'll pay you, um, I think it was like ten fifty an hour, which, you know, not too bad, actually, um, at that at that point in time. And, uh, but I was just doing like video editing. It was kind of funny, because like, you know, with like, I, I don't know, I had like a little bit of an ego. And I kind of felt like, man, like, you know, I want to be doing like on air reporting and stuff like that. That was my ultimate goal. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, just getting my foot in the door, it would be helpful to have it on my resume. And obviously, I was very young and raw and, you know, was not ready to be on air for something like that yet. But um, yeah, it was funny. I mean, but it was like difficult because right, because I was driving there like after classes. And you know, I had to get in my car and, and drive there and, and, you know, be there well into the night, you know, until 10pm, 11pm. And you know, it would have been much easier just to be like, yeah, this sucks. I'm not going to do this. But like, you know, I, I just feel like it was those little moments like stuff like that, that you did and that I did and that, you know, can really put you over the, give you that edge over someone else looking for a job in, in the industry or, you know, just help you with connections and experience. So anyway, if there's any college 
students listening to this, you know, don't take that for granted. Um, you know, those little moments really, I think, really add up. So you were at uh, TAJ for six months, right? I was, yep, six months. And then did you, how did you end up in Texas? Had it always been your desire to move to Midland, Texas? Or did, or did you uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> apply to like 100? No, I actually, yeah, I, I did exactly what you did. Um, and I applied to a bunch of stations. And this is, you know, when you had to, you know, they still wanted VHS tapes too, VHS and DVD and whatnot. So I would like lug a whole bunch of applications to the uh, Penn State post office. And Mike the mailman would be there and asking, you know, what are all these for, you know? And he always remembered Every time I went in there, he would ask if I got any of those jobs or if I had heard from anybody that I had applied to, which I thought was really cool. But um, I, I miss that guy. He was great. Um, but one of the things that, you know, I, I, you know, look back on and I consider myself really lucky because right when I graduated, which was December of 2008, I mean, this is when the economy was crashing. Like, it was terrible. And it was really hard for people to find jobs. And there were a lot of people that I graduated with who didn't you know, find jobs for over a year. Like, I mean, it, I, I consider myself very lucky because I had a couple of offers on the table, a lot of which I turned down, which was difficult to do. But I turned some down before I eventually ended up in, you know, Midland, Texas. And ironically, that was the station that offered me the most money. Um, so that's where I ended up going. Um, I turned down jobs in Elmira, New York, uh, San Angelo, Texas, and Evansville, Indiana. Um, Evansville, Indiana would not come up too grand to meet what Midland, Texas was offering me. So I went to Midland, but you know, this is, you know, we, we were talking about these opportunities and, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, maybe students might not think that's a big deal or it's a hassle or it's this or that. It's not, if a door opens, you go through it. Um, you don't know where it's going to end up leading you. And, you know, I think that time that I had at WTAJ, I think that might've just given me a small leg up on some others. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I remember, I mean, I wasn't, yeah, I mean, that was a very like scary and kind of precarious time that we were coming out of college. I mean, yeah, I was graduating in, you know, leaving Penn State in, in May of 2008. And you're right. I mean, people don't remember, but that that was the crash. That was, you know, Bear Stearns and every, you know, Wall Street collapsing, you know, and, and the auto industry and all kinds of stuff. And the price of oil went up mm -hmm. really high and gas was, you know, people were like freaking out. Um, oh, yeah. And there were not a lot of yeah, jobs. And I remember... I mean, yeah, I remember, you know, I got the offer I think I got in Elmira, New York was like a $17,000 a year contract. And I just was like, there's no way that I can like live on this. And I remember crying to my friends, like, I feel so bad turning down this job, but I feel like I have to. But what if like something else doesn't come along? Right. You know, that was like a big fear. Like, what if I don't get offered anything else? Well, luckily I did. But, you know, that was hard to turn down that job. And it's okay to turn down a job. You don't have to take the first thing that's offered to you. Right. Like, don't think just because you were offered a job, you have to take it. You really have to kind of think about your situation and what you're wanting to accomplish. And do you think maybe you can live on what they're offering you? Right. Yeah. I mean, my goal was really at that time to go to a station close to Pittsburgh. You know, I, I wanted to get um, mm -hmm. WDTV or, you know, or Altoona or Johnstown or Erie. You know, that was my goal. And they were not having it. They were they just did not, you know, think that I was. I guess, ready for that level, or, you know, maybe they didn't have the openings. I mean, there was like a little bit mm -hmm. of interest, I think, from WDTV, you know, and wherever, wherever that is, Ohio or West Virginia, but um, not a ton of interest. So, you know, it became apparent to me, I was not gonna get a job close to Pittsburgh, where I was from. 
Um, and then I had like a couple offers out of, uh, or some interest out of Montana, actually two different stations in Montana, um, different markets. And then my only other interest was, uh, or offer was, was from Texas. So that, that's, that's the one I took. It was also the highest money offer. And, uh, you know, I yeah. talked to, I talked to kind of a mentor of mine and he was like, uh, yeah, take it, just go, you got to take it. I mean, don't, don't even think mm -hmm. twice, you know, that's just, just do it, just do it. So yep. Um, I mean, I could have waited, you know, longer, but I was looking at sure. probably becoming a Olive Garden waiter that summer back in Pittsburgh or just move to Texas and start my reporting career. So it became kind of clear what, which one was the right option. But um, but I was very fortunate. Yeah. So um, so you were at KWES and I'm mm -hmm. trying to remember, did you work at a, another TV station after that? I did. I went to... Um WMBF in Myrtle Beach, which is the NBC affiliate. affiliate. Okay, WMBF uh, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, Correct. And then did, were you at another station after that? Nope. After that is when I decided to uh, bow out and make my exit. <laughs> yeah. You were like, I want to have weekends off generally and yeah, make more money. Now, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I, I worked, I worked weekend evenings in, in Texas at News West nine and eventually went to the morning show, but there was a, you know, a lot of turnover and things that were happening. So, I mean, there were several months where I was working, you know, the morning show Monday through Friday, and then I'd work Saturday night and then have Sunday off and turn around and go back to the morning show. So there were a lot of months that I was working, you know, six day weeks and that really, you know, had a toll on me. And then uh, once I went to Myrtle Beach, I was working uh, weekend evenings there. And they would have me during the week either uh, report evening traffic or uh, work at the assignment desk, those types of things during the week. But again, we had some, you know, turnover and whatnot. And for about six months there, I was working the dreaded weekend split shift, which means you're doing both the Saturday and Sunday morning show as well as the Saturday and Sunday evening show. Mm. And that's that's hard. Oh, it's rough. And you know, if if you're gonna work that shift, like you've got to have the right attitude about it. And I'm pretty sure I just didn't have the right attitude about it. Because I mean, I just I felt like a zombie all the time because you know, I'm trying to sleep and it's hard and it just yeah, it, it was no fun. And I you know, I think that was probably the point which I was like, All right, I think I maybe need to look at doing something else. Yeah. So I mean, would it be fair to say, I mean, were you were you you know, it's cliche, but were you like were you burnt out from T V? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And was it, I mean, it was the same thing in South Carolina, just crazy shifts as well? It was. And then, you know, once we kind of got back up to, you know, full staff, I you stayed on the um, Saturday evening and Sunday evening shows, which I had a great crew I worked weekends with. They are fantastic. They are still some of my best friends. and I miss them all. We've all kind of moved on to other markets or got in or got out of the business, you know, we've all kind of moved on. But, you know, I, I think when you find a good team to work with, you know, it makes life a lot easier. Um, but I just kind of knew, you know, I was just like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. You know, I'm, I'm working every weekend and I'm working every holiday and I'm starting to feel like I'm missing out on life. And yeah. I was like, I got to figure out something else to do here. And, and that's, you know, what I started working on while I was still in Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that feeling. I mean, I know, you know, I can think of all the the holidays that I missed, basically, and, you know, many, many um, invitations to like weekend barbecues and stuff that I really wanted to mm -hmm. do that I just ha could not do. Um, just so many things. Yep, weddings and family reunions. And, you know, you just miss a lot of stuff. And my family, the majority of them were still in 
Northeast Ohio and Western Pennsylvania. And so it, it's hard, you know, when you are far away um, and you, you know, you're not making great money. So it's hard to travel and get back for these types of things. And then if you take off, that means somebody else has to take your place and then you kind of have to repay the favor down the line. So it's, it's hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's very hard. And, you know, I, uh, I just, um, left my station. Um, my contract was up in, in, at the end of May, um, and kind of made a tough decision to, uh, basically take a year off from, from news, um, possibly longer, but probably just one year. And, uh, I mean, it's been remarkable just like the, the life change that I feel of, you know, Mm -hmm. working more of like a nine to five job and, you know, having weekday evenings off. And I mean, it's tough because it's funny because I always looked at myself with this weird lens of like, oh, like I'm I'm tougher than other people. Like I I can handle it. Mm -hmm. Like they're just not cut out for it. And, you know, it's kind of a dumb attitude, really. It was just this weird, like prideful thing. But, um, you know, now I, I don't know. I mean, so I'm not saying that I wouldn't do it again, because I did love it and do love it. But Mm -hmm definitely nice to, to kind of see seeing things from the other side is, is definitely illuminating and uh, it's definitely gonna have to be the, the right offer and the right situation for me to go back. Sure. To it. I'm not gonna like, you know, do something I don't like doing, you know, uh, you know, it's gonna have to be the right offer. Yeah, I mean, in, in when you take a step back, it kind of gives you perspective, right? So you kind of see things in a different light. And I think changing your perspective is good for everybody in a sense, you know, kind of taking a step back and just reevaluating. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of great things that I, you know, got to experience and do while I was in the industry. Um, and I don't take that for granted because, you know, I, I, if I would have gone a different route in the beginning, there's a lot of things that I would have never uh, experienced. There's a lot of people I wouldn't have met. There's a lot of things I wouldn't have learned. So I, I don't take it for granted. I just knew that it was really probably not the right fit for me And, you know, it took me about, you know, six and a half years to kind of figure that out, but that's okay. And it's scary to kind of, you know, take that other route and decide, well, I'm going to try something else and we're going to see how it goes. And that's scary. You know, it's change. People don't like change. Um, But honestly, I think, you know, it worked out in my favor, you know, and I'm really happy with what I'm doing now. And I still get to deal with the media a little bit today. So I didn't get completely away from the cameras or anything like that, but I still get to deal with it today. Yeah, yeah. So you, um, you do you have to do on camera interviews? Do, you, do reporters ever? Interview? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like I handle. Um, I'm basically the PIO for our um, agency. So anytime you know the media calls wants to do an interview or they have questions, um, they will either filter through the county public information officer to me, or they'll end up calling me directly, and I'll coordinate with our county public information officer about that. But usually, it has to do with oh, there's a hurricane out there, like you know, what should people be doing to prepare for this type of thing? Or we have winter weather coming, and you know, what are some tips that you have for people? Or you know, it's those kinds of things. Um, for instance, like during Dorian, we actually had some of our um, our search and rescue crews uh, deploy down towards the coast just in case they were needed. So I was getting questions about that. So I get to talk to them about these types of things. You know, I've sat down not only just with, you know, the local TV stations, but during Florence, I had the Associated Press calling me. I had newspapers calling me. Uh, public radio calling me, you know, I'm answering all these different questions from different people. So, I mean, I still, you know, I still kind of get that piece of it, but I'm on the other side now. 
Yeah, absolutely. So do you, I mean, do you miss, do you ever turn on the TV and see a forecaster and think like, ah, man, I should be out there. You know, uh, do you ever miss it? Do you ever think like you're, you're, you're missing your calling at all or no? Not really. I don't. And you know what I, what I end up realizing is I kind of get like hypercritical and I have to tell myself, stop, like, that's not you anymore. (laughs) You know, take a step back. You know, everyone kind of does their forecast and their severe weather coverage differently. Like I know how I would do it, but I need to take a step back and realize I'm not in that world anymore. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And so what, what is, what was the biggest challenge making that switch from, uh, you know, being a broadcast TV, uh, re- sorry, were you officially a meteorologist or what was your title? Forecaster? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Me- meteorologist. What, what was, mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge of, of jumping from meteorologist, you know, on being on TV every day and, and, and then to, you know, uh, uh being, you know, a, a emergency management official. So um, I think part of it was, you know, I had to figure out what, what was going to be my next step. And I wanted to make sure I could still use my degree in some capacity, but, you know, maybe not be on TV every single day. Um, and so I, it just turned out, this is a small world story, and this is where networking is very key. And I tell this to every intern that walks through our doors. I'm taking you to all these meetings so that you can network. And, you know, they maybe don't get it at first, but eventually they do. Um, and it turned out that the county where Myrtle Beach is, that's Horry County, um, the director of emergency management there was actually the cousin of a family friend of ours. And I grew up with that cousin's kid back in Northeast Ohio. So like small world story, yeah. you know, it turns out that, you know, you know, family friend knows the director of emergency management in the county. And so I reached out to him and I just said, hey, do you mind if we get together and sit down and, you know, have lunch? I kind of have some questions about like what you do. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So we sat down and had lunch and we talked about, you know, what exactly is emergency management? And and I said, well, here's the deal. You know, I still have a couple of years until my contract is up, but I'm trying to figure out if this would be something that I could do. And he goes, absolutely, you can. I said, well, do you think I'd need to go back to school? You know, my degree's in meteorology. It's not in emergency management. And he goes, no, he goes, I don't think you need to go back to school. He goes, I think your degree would actually be an asset here. Wow. I said, okay. So he gave me some um, tips to do. Like uh, FEMA has, through their Emergency Management Institute, they have a bunch of free online independent study classes. So he, you know, gave me some suggestions on which ones I should kind of start with and take. And then as the you know kind of time passed there were a couple of situations that happened where i got to kind of work with county emergency management from the television side Mm -hmm. so the the county had redrawn their hurricane evacuation zone so they were doing um know your zone town hall meetings so i would go by from their town hall meetings and discuss you know the changes in the evacuation zones and what routes you should take to leave and things like that so i would be at their town hall meetings so that was one way I was kind of supporting emergency management, but also getting a good message out to the public in regards to safety. And it was still weather related. And then we, uh, unfortunately, in March, I think it was of 2013, there was a wildfire that spread to a condo complex and it burned down 26 condo buildings. And it was just, it was, it was a very terrifying event. And I remember being on air that day. And that, that was, this was when I was kind of working that weekend split shift. So I remember going in that morning and I left a note on the evening anchor's desk. And I just said, in the reporter, and I said, hey, guys, like, 
conditions are ripe for wildfires today. So if something starts, it's probably going to spread quickly, like keep an ear on the scanners. So we got to about four o'clock that afternoon. Nothing had happened. I'm like, oh, okay, we, I think we're doing okay. Well, then five o'clock it started. And this was in a very busy, very congested area of Horry County. And it's called the Carolina Forest area. And this wildfire started, we could see it from our sky cam and it was just, it was devastating. And so luckily, um, none of the residents passed away, but a police officer, I believe, did a couple weeks later from smoke inhalation injuries. And unfortunately, a couple of pets died as well. But it was just, it was a bad day. And after that, residents were scared. You know, yeah. how, how did this happen? How can we protect our homes from this? You know, this is just, this is, this is really bad. Well, I teamed up again with um, the county emergency management and I said, can we maybe like put together a town hall meeting for these people and like talk to them about how to protect their homes from wildfire, talk about insurance, this, that, and whatever. And that's what we ended up doing. So again, it was a way to work with emergency management and pull their message in terms of public safety. Yeah. What has been the, uh, the most challenging thing you've had to do in that role of the, uh, well, I mean, well, actually, let me let me step backwards. How did you end up? I mean, it's kind of an impressive title. You're the deputy mm-hmm. director of emergency management for Greenville County for an entire county in South Carolina. I mean, that's not what you began as, is it? It is not. So um, after my contract ended in April of 2011, you know, I kept trying to get my foot in the door. And um, again, Horry County's emergency manager, you know, kind of helped me get my foot in the door. You know, he introduced me to the state emergency management director, Kim Stenson. And uh, Mr. Stenson said, you know, we, I know we're going to have some jobs coming open soon. Pay attention, you know, apply. So I did. I ended up interviewing for three jobs and eventually got the third one. So I was jobless coming out of television for about two months, which is hard. Um, you know, so I, I didn't have a job. I had to move from Myrtle Beach to Columbia. Like it was, it was hard. Yeah. But I got my foot in the door, and my first job um, in emergency management was individual assistance coordinator. So emergency management has four phases, um, and they kind of are all ongoing at the same time. So you have preparedness, you have response, recovery, and mitigation. So preparing, you know, where you're writing plans, you're preparing for something, something bad to happen. Response is when you're responding to the event. Recovery is the longest and most expensive phase of emergency management because there's just a lot of rebuilding and money involved there. And it just takes a long time. And then mitigation is how do we build back better or mitigate something from happening again? So there, those four phases are ongoing all the time, but the individual assistance coordinator role is in the recovery section. So this is dealing with families and individuals, households, things like that. And because at the time, South Carolina had not had a presidentially declared disaster that dealt with individuals in over 10 years, you know, I kind of was trying to build this program back up. And so that was the first thing I did. So I was doing things like rewriting disaster housing plans and (laughs) things like that. So I was kind of teaching myself along the way what I was supposed to do in this role. Then about a year. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it strikes me how passionate you actually sound about this, which in some Mm -hmm. sense, you know, I mean, I don't think I'd be that passionate about it, maybe a little bit, but where, like, just a quick aside, like, where does your passion come for this type of thing? Well, I think part of it is, you know, 
I mean, I love weather. I love meteorology. I do. But I've been able to see what it does to people when it's bad. Yeah. And, you know, I hate seeing like the, you know, interviews on TV where people say, I never thought it would happen to me. I don't want anyone to ever be in that position where they think, you know, it's never going to happen to me because it, it could. Yeah. And so people who think it's not going to happen to them don't prepare for these types of things. They don't pay attention. They don't make sure they're getting warnings. So I think it's one of those things to me that it's more of an educational thing and trying to like drop that. Well, I never thought it would happen to me. So I didn't prepare, you know, I, I don't want people to um, not think that for a second that something like this could happen. We don't want it to happen. And yes, it's probably a surprise when something bad does happen. Um, but, you know, if you are prepared to handle um, an emergency or a disaster, you're going to be able to get back to your normal life a lot faster than somebody who didn't. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So let's pick back up um, from, <laughs> from where we were with how, you know, kind of how you made yeah. this, this rise to where you are now. Sure. So um, about a little over a year, I think, into my first job there at the South Carolina Emergency Management Division. So that's the state emergency management. Um, so I started in recovery doing individual assistance, and then I moved over into the preparedness section, and I started managing the earthquake program for the state. Um, everyone's like, wait, South Carolina has earthquakes? They do. Um, yeah, it is yeah, a seismically active my, state. My, my question, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's actually a very seismically active state. Um, we, we get several earthquakes a year. Most of them are very low magnitude. Hardly anybody feels them. Um, but there is one um, in history that really caused some problems in South Carolina. Um, in 1886, a 7.3 magnitude earthquake hit outside of Charleston in the Middleton Place Somerville Seismic Zone. And that earthquake was felt way far away. It was felt in Boston. It was felt in Cuba. It was felt in Chicago. Um, it was just, it was a very strong earthquake. And, you know, where the epicenter was, it wasn't, you know, very populated yet, but downtown Charleston was the area that was very populated. And that's where a lot of the damage occurred. And if you go to Charleston today and you take one of the carriage rides through the town, you will actually see, they'll point out where the cracks are in some of the buildings from these earthquakes as well as some of the buildings have what they call like earthquake bolts. And they are meant to like kind of hold the buildings up. And some of them are tightened a little bit too much. So you see the buildings kind of bend in a little. Mm -hmm. And then some of the bolts in the buildings are fake. They just make you think they're there holding the building up. It's kind oh. of interesting. So yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I, I'm, I, like, I like history. So every time I get on to Charleston, I try to take one of those tours because I learn something new every time. But um, like they'll show you in, in the market downtown, like where the water level rose during Hurricane Hugo, like you can still see the water line, things like that. So, but anyways, yeah, South Carolina is a seismically active state. So um, I got to manage their earthquake program for a little over a year. But what they also did in this instance was we had two meteorologists in the preparedness section. Uh, one was handling the earthquake program and I was handling the, the earthquake or one was handling the hurricane program, I should say. One was handling the earthquake program. But we were kind of each other's backups. Um, so if we, the state was getting, getting threatened by a hurricane, I would help out the hurricane program manager. So I got to do that uh, during the flood. There was a historic flood in South Carolina in 2015. And that was, that was really interesting to see. Um, they kind of had me floating around to different positions, but Ultimately, I ended up in the operations section and I was working overnight during the flood. 
And this was a good learning experience because I got to see like all the reports that were coming in and all these dams were failing. And, you know, when do you make the call to get people out of the way if you think a dam's going to fail? So it was, it was a really good learning experience for me for sure. But then um, during hurricane Matthew in 2016, I was still in this role, but I kind of got, you know, shifted around a little bit where I was, you know, helping the hurricane program manager, but I was also, Um, supporting the state's public information phone system. So what they do anytime in South Carolina that there's an impending disaster or storm, they will activate this public information phone system called PIPS. Okay. And it's it's made up of volunteers from um, the Department of Motor Vehicles, from the United Way, um, and a few other volunteers as well who come in from different agencies, like the Department of, of Administration. And there's like essentially three call centers that are going on at different locations. So I was basically pulling together all the information for them so that they could, you know, tell people the right thing um, when they called in and had questions. So I was kind of managing that as well. And, you know, it, they, they we're talking like over 10,000 calls these volunteers took during these times. So it was, it was, it was a lot. And, you know, it started to affect like the volunteers, like somebody called in the middle of a hurricane and they didn't feel safe where they were. And, you know, the lady was like, can I call her back and make sure she's okay? And I'm like, of course you can call her back, you know? So, you know, make sure she's fine. And she was, and it kind of, you know, made her feel better that she was in a safe place and she was okay. So, you know, it was, it, it was, you know, you learn a lot. And I think one of the things that any, anybody who's gone through FEMA's, public information training, they will tell you they hear this phrase over and over again. And it's kind of like, this is your duty. You want to get the right information to the right people at the right time so they can make the right decisions for themselves and their families. And that's what your goal is when you're trying to get that information out. So that was, you know, that was my main thing, but I was kind of floating around helping everybody during that. One cool thing that did come out of it afterwards was, um, I got tasked to put together a storm surge damage survey for the National Hurricane Center. So about a week after Matthew hit, um, I took the director of the National Hurricane Center at the time that was Rick Knapp and his storm surge unit on a tour through Orion, Georgetown counties and Beaufort counties to look at the storm surge damage. And the reason why was they had for that year, that was an experimental storm surge warning they issued and they wanted to see if it verified. So it was interesting to see the power of water. You know, it's one thing to see it on TV, and I'm sure you've seen this when you've been out in the field and you're doing stories, but like to see see it in person, completely different. Yeah. So that's that's kind of, uh, you know, I think one of the things that really stands out in my time so far in emergency management is that. Because, I mean, we, we saw boats that were, in a marina and they somehow ended up four miles away in the middle of an airport runway. Wow. How does that happen? You know, right. How does that happen? You know, but just the power of water is incredible. And that storm could have been way worse um, than what it was. But like, it was just, it, it was interesting to kind of see what they were looking at to determine if their warning actually verified. And it did. And now it's an actual product that the national hurricane center issues oh, with wow. tropical storms and hurricanes. Yeah. So it's really, really cool. So um, a few months after that, a new opportunity kind of came up, and I uh, was contacted by the then Deputy Director of Emergency Management in Greenville County. He said, hey, um, 
we're thinking about hiring somebody to do plans. And since you are handling, you know, the state's earthquake program, which meant I had to handle the earthquake plan and the tsunami plan, I was also handling the state's emergency operations plan at the time. So a lot of writing is what I was doing. And he said, we're thinking about hiring a planning person. Would you be interested? And I said, definitely, you know, send me the details. So ultimately, you know, I came and I interviewed and whatnot, and they hired me for the job. So that's how I ended up in Greenville County. So I came to Greenville County as a planning coordinator, which meant I was responsible for uh, the county's emergency operations plan. And that means coordinating with all the agencies and organizations that have a part in emergency management and kind of bringing everyone to the table and rewriting the plans for the county. Okay. Hmm. I know I just gave you an earful. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. Um, so it seems like you're pretty happy in your, in your current role. I am. Yeah. This, um, this recent promotion just happened in August where I was promoted to the deputy director of emergency management. So um, I still handle our public information duties and um, we're kind of, you know, we're still a little bit short staffed, so I'm still handling planning for right now. But as we get more people in, I think that'll kind of move around and we'll see what happens. So, but I am, I really enjoy what I do. Every day is different. Um, I never know what's going to happen when I get to work. It just depends on the day. So I think that's, you know, it's kind of the same, I guess, and, you know, as a reporter, you don't know, you don't know always what story you're going to cover that day. You don't know where you're going to end up. And that, that's kind of how it is in my job every day. Yeah, that, that is definitely very, sounds very similar. And I, that's funny because I always tell people that same thing. You know, I just, I never know, well, when I was reporting, I never know what, uh, what each day is going to bring. And I kind of liked that because you're not just like reporting mm-hmm. to a cubicle and then putting your head down and, you know, doing the same thing every day. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not monotonous. Like there's always something different happening. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, so what are the odds that you would ever be, you know, go back to being an on-air, uh, meteorologist, uh, 1%, 2%, 0%. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I get asked this question a lot and I get asked this question by the reporters that come and, and interview me. And, you know, once they realize that I've been in media before, it's almost like a sigh of relief to them. Because they don't have to tell me where to put my microphone. They don't have to, you know, they they know that I'm more understanding and I get, you know, what their day is like. And that sometimes it just doesn't always go as planned. But, you know, people do ask me this. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'll say never say never. Um, But it would take a lot for me to go back into that business. I mean, if somebody, you know, wanted to pay me a ridiculous amount of money, I might do it for two years just so I can pay off my student loan debt. But, you know, other than that, (laughs) I don't know if I could actually go back in. Yeah. Um, so when you do watch, uh, local forecasts and you said, sometimes you're mm-hmm. like a little bit critical in your head and you say, oh, I shouldn't, yeah, I am. but like, what is, you know, without naming any names, like what is the biggest mistake or biggest thing that you see meteorologists making that you wish you could just talk to them and be like, Hey, like do it this way instead, or, you know, never do that. Like, is there anything that comes to mind? Well, you know, everybody has their own style and that's, that's great. And I think we're, we're, I think I get the most critical is probably during like severe weather coverage. Uh, if there's a tornado warning and, you know, you're trying to tell people to get to a safe place and who needs to get to a safe place. And we know based on research that a lot of people cannot pick out on a map where they live. Um, if you say this portion of the county is under this tornado warning, a lot of people don't realize that that includes them. Mm-hmm. So, One of the things that, you know, I think is very important, especially when you're handling a life-threatening situation such as a tornado warning, 
um, that you have to really get down to the street level and talk about the streets that are in the path and the cross sections and, you know, the intersection of this highway and this highway um, and landmarks, give people landmarks, especially if you know that area pretty well, so that people are like, wait, I know where that is. That's just down the street. This must mean I need to take cover. You know, so, I mean, kind of really drilling down into who needs to be taking shelter, because if you say um, central Greenville County is under a tornado warning and you need to take shelter. Okay, well, that includes the city of Greenville. That includes Greer. That includes Taylor's, Malden. Like, there are all these, like, cities and stuff, but where? Who exactly needs to be taking that shelter, you know? Yeah. So, I, I, I feel like you really, in that type of situation, have to drill down and be with what they call hyper-local. Like, really get in there and tell them. These are the roads that are in the path of the storm. And I've seen some meteorologists do a really good job at doing this. Um, one of them being Josh Johnson at WSFA in Montgomery, Alabama. He's the chief meteorologist there. He, uh, he did a really good job. Um, he knew this tornado was on the ground. He could see the debris. He knew people were going to be injured or they were going to be killed. And he marked every single roadway he could in the path of that tornado. And I mean, I, w I would venture to guess the people who heard that warning, they got to shelter. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a way to do that coverage. And when you're just kind of saying, well, this area, this, this is part of the county. If people don't know what part of the county they live in, that's not really helpful to them. Yeah. So that's where I get really critical. And it's just, especially when it has to do with that life threatening or life saving information. Yeah. You know, I was, it's funny you say that because I always, um, felt that way even as a reporter, like there'd be times where we're doing like a traffic report or, you know, we're, we're explaining where we're located. And I always tried to do it in terms that I felt like the average person would recognize. Like, you know, we Definitely. might be in like the Southwest corner of Westmoreland County, but like, what does that actually mean, you know, to the average person, or especially considering that a lot of our viewers don't even live in that County. So like, if there was a big mm -hmm. landmark, like, you know, the West side Walmart, I'd almost rather say that. I'd there be like, you go. You're reporting Correct. from close to the West side Walmart, you know, um, yep. you know, it just seemed more effective, more like relatable, but I feel like not enough reporters and, you know, cause I think sometimes we, it, it's a tough job because you have to be factual, you know, whether you're in weather or reporting, you have to be mm -hmm. factual and accurate and sometimes, but then they also want you to be conversational and sometimes those mm -hmm. things don't mix, you know, or we get them confused and we're like, Oh God, I have to be factual. You know, we are in the Southwest quadrant, you know, of, of uh, latitude one, four, five, you know, you would never cite a latitude <laughs> longitude no. right, of, of a location, but sometimes as reporters, we do the equivalent of that, you know, whereas like in that instance, you kind of want to be conversational as long as it's factual. So both, you know, saying the right. West side Walmart or the latitude and longitude would actually both be factual. Right. But, you know, mm -hmm. one of them is much more useful, I think, to, you know, the vast majority of people. Unless, unless you have a lot of cartographers in your audience who, who know exactly latitude and longitude. Oh, thank well, and you. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> well, and I have to remember that, you know, especially as a meteorologist, you're looking at maps all the time. You know, you're looking at maps, whether they are on a bigger scale or a smaller scale. If you're looking at radar, you know, you're, you're always looking at maps. So you always know where these things are or where the, you know, this city is in this county. You know, you, you know that. But the average person is not staring at maps all day. And they might not realize what part of a county they live in or what side of town they're even on. So, you know, being able to kind of drill down with those landmarks, like you said, the West Side Walmart, like that's, that's helpful to people because they're like, wait, I know where that is. That's by me. 
or that's not by me. So yeah, I think I think kind of, you know, you, you put it in terms that people are going to understand and that includes, you know, what's in their neighborhood, you know, um, like that Walmart or there's that, you know, there, there might be a gas station on the corner of this road and this road and people will be like, oh, I know where that is, you know, right. it, just, it helps, it helps get the message apart, across, I should say, it helps get the message across and yeah, that's, I think, you know, we, we have to start looking at it from other people's perspective yeah. and we kind of talked about that earlier in the podcast, like look at the people who live in that area, what are they, you know, what are they looking at? They're not right. looking at the latitude and longitude or this portion of the county or this side of the city. They're looking at the landmarks. Right, right, for sure. Um, so what do you think, we'll switch gears a little bit as we work towards a close here. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, you know, as a meteorologist, you, you know, it's like, it's, it's interesting because you're not exactly, you know, I guess local news per se. Like you're not, you weren't like a news mm -hmm. reporter literally, but like you're in the local newsroom. You're certainly you know, very much connected to local news. So it's like, kind of either way I say that it could almost be like offensive. Like, if I say like, Oh, you're in local <laughs> news, you're like, No, I was a meteorologist, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist. And yeah. if I go, Oh, you're not in local news, you're like, hell yeah, I was I was in that newsroom, you know, yeah. so, <laughs> you know, let's let me just like, kind of get your perspective. I mean, what do you think about local news? Is it headed in the right direction? Is it headed in the wrong direction? If you do think it could be improved? You know, is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I think I, I have, I have a lot of different, I guess, varying thoughts on it, but I will say, you know, there are a lot of people in this industry that work very hard, um, who love their jobs and they want to do the best they can every single day. And, you know, sometimes they get a bad rap for that, you know, with the whole fake news media and whatnot that, you know, just continues, but there, there's a lot of people who work hard. And I, you know, I think, um, one of the things that can be um, improved upon is, you know, we're in this 24 hour news cycle and I know that we have newscasts that go, you know, several hours at a time. But what I see, you know, at least locally is a lot of it is repeated every single half hour. It's like, well, I just saw all this the last half hour, you know, so why am I watching again this half hour? Um, the amount of breaking news alerts that come across my phone for everything and anything, like there's so many of them and I leave them on because, you know, sometimes the media is the first to realize that something's happening. And, you know, if it's affecting me or going to affect my job in some way, I want to know what's going on or what they're seeing. So I leave all these breaking news alerts on. But, you know, when I wake up and I've got like 40 or 50 breaking news alerts, it's like, okay, this is a little excessive now. Well, you know, like what is actually considered breaking news these days? You know, right. what, what yeah. actually is, constitutes a push alert that needs to go out? So, you know, those kinds of things, you know, I think could definitely be improved upon because you're going to get to the point where, one, people turn off the alert they're not paying any attention um, or they're turning off the TV because they just watched this the last half hour. So why should they keep watching? Yeah. I, I, so I love, those, yeah, I love, yeah, go ahead. No, that, those are the things that I think could definitely be improved upon, but I realize, you know, these newsrooms are, you know, not necessarily have, you know, large staff. Um, so you have, you know, one reporter who's trying to cover this story, but also probably had to run to the other side of town to shoot video for this story. So I understand because I've been in that industry that I, you know, I know it's hard. Um, but how do you how do you combat that and make an overall better product for your viewers? Right? Yeah, those are big questions facing the industry. I mean, I often felt that way with like live reports. And sometimes people would be like, you know, I, there's a conception from producers sometimes like, oh, like, that reporter's lazy, they don't want to go live, you know, because because like, 
for people who aren't in the industry, quote, going live can sometimes be a pain in the neck. You know, it sometimes means that mm-hmm. you get home an hour later that night. It sometimes means that you stand in the bitter cold. And, you know, sometimes, Been I mean, there. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I never really minded like doing it for, for the sake of doing it. Like I felt like, you know, that's part of the job. Like if, 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 if I need to go live, I need to go live. Like there's no complaining. Mm-hmm. You just have to do it that you know, I'm being paid. Yeah. To- but, but Correct. what did drive me crazy was whenever, you know, the story was about something that had no immediacy to it and they, and you'd be standing live in front of a building that was empty and the lights were off and everyone who worked there was long gone home, you know, like a sheriff's office or something. I don't know, like something or, you know, the city county building or the county building. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this just has no relevance. Like this is just a random. Well, there's no activeness there. There's no activeness. And they'd be like, well, a good reporter makes it active. And I'm like, no, no. Like, I know you want to say that, but like, this is just a dark building. Like, so I can dance down mm-hmm. these stairs if you want and do a few spins, but like, that'd be very active. <laughs> there's no relevance to this building. Like, so it just felt very forced. And I felt like, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, I, I wasn't really alive or a cognizant human being at that point. But like, mm-hmm. um, when, when, when news came on, you know, and, and it said live, like that really meant something that was like, oh, shit, like, you know, stop washing the dishes, stop, stop eating dinner, you drop your fork and you watch because something big was happening. And it just feels like now when you say live, I mean, that's just every day. It's, you know, it's, Mm-hmm. It doesn't carry the weight with it anymore. And and I feel like those those push alerts that we get, and there's so many of them, it's just like mm-hmm. breaking news, cat stuck in sewer. And it's like, okay, um, do you have to send that out as an alert? Like, wh- how is that going to affect my life today? Um, exactly. But, you know, it's just like, exactly. to, me, to me, it's like that. And then these like nonsense live shots, some of them, you know, are like the boy who cried wolf, you know? And it's like, if you, mm-hmm. if you do this enough times, and people are like, oh, okay, they're they're full of shit. Like they never deliver. They just always say live, 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 big alert, big alert. Then they're just gonna stop mm-hmm. watching you. Like they're gonna ignore you. And I think they that's are. part of what's eroded things. You know, we we went to that honey pot and it was like a good thing, and we went back to it too many times. You know, we relied on mm-hmm. live too much instead of just like doing good content and then like being truthful about so anyway, I'm I'm not going on a rant here, but I just think No, it's okay that's something uh, that, you know, should be considered by stations. And, and those text alerts are sure. a good, the push alerts are a good example of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I understand, you know, they've got a limited amount of time to really, you know, put forth like these, you know, important stories. And, you know, you get a minute 30 or maybe you get two minutes if you're lucky to put together these really good stories. So it's, it, you know, it, I always tell, you know, people, even in, you know, emergency management, like it's the, so what, like, why are you telling me about this? Like, what, what, what do I really need to know? Like, what is the nitty gritty of this? Um, Is there a reason that I need to know this type deal? Um, And, you know, back to the live shot, you know, thing real quick, you know, I I think one of the other things that just kind of like drives me crazy on some of these is, you know, when I see people reporting walking through floodwaters, that is like nails on a chalkboard to me because we tell people to stay out of water because you don't know how deep it is, how fast it's moving or what is even in the water. Um, and we've got people on television going live telling people to stay out of the floodwaters and here they are walking through it. Right. Um, so like that, that kind of stuff, oh, it, it just, it's nails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I have to admit, I've been guilty of that, but um, oh, a lot of people have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I did that one time in in uh, Pennsylvania. I was walking, <laughs> standing in like high water. I mean, it wasn't moving water, so I wasn't gonna like fall. But um, it was mm-hmm. a puddle, but it was like a very high puddle. Um, and uh, I got a Facebook message from a viewer, and they were like, and I don't know if this is true or not, so I'm not like making fun of it. It was just like interesting to me and my photographer. But they were like, you should never do that again. Um, someone I know got like a flesh eating bacteria from being in flood water or something like that. And so yeah. I, I don't know if anything like that is, is true or could happen, but, um, I'm, definitely... I'm, I would think it could happen. I mean, yeah. there were people, you know, in Myrtle beach who are trying to report on like flooding in the Waccamaw river and there's water moccasins going through it. I mean, that's not something you really want to be walking in. What, wait, what was going through it? Water moccasins. Oh, the, like snakes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is not something I want to be uh, <laughs> swimming around my ankles. Yeah. I mean, I had on these mm-hmm. big boots, but yeah, I mean, that, that doesn't matter. I mean, they, you know, you don't want to mess around with that. So um, no, thanks. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> good, good advice there. So stop, uh, stop just trying to look cool in your live shot, I guess, is, is the thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had my that. fair share. Of, I've had my fair share where I've been, you know, out, you know, trying to find flooding and things like that or you know being out in snow and sleet and, you know pouring down rain during a hurricane and that kind of stuff but you know I walking through floodwaters was not something I ever did and you know it's you see it all the time I mean the weather channel kind of does it where they're you know out in flooding situations and I know they're trying to show people like how bad it is like I right. get that but if you're standing in it it makes people think it's okay for them to stand in it right yeah do as I do as I say, not as I do. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, so um, you, what advice would you give to your twenty-two-year-old self if you could, if you could magically go back and give yourself some advice? Um, that everything happens for a reason, and it it it's funny how things work themselves out. Um, if you would ask me at 22, you know, going into, you know, my job in Midland, Texas, if, you know, I was going to end up working in emergency management, I would have been like, what, really? You know, I didn't, that wasn't something, you know, that was in the back of my head until I was well into the business. And it was just kind of something I was like, hmm, I wonder if this is something I can do. And I kind of explored it further. So, um, you know, every situation that you find yourself in, every place, you know, you end up with, you know, in this TV business, if that's what you're doing, um, it happens for a reason. Um, and you might not know what that reason is until after you've moved on, but don't take it for granted. You'll learn something everywhere you go. Yeah, that is very, very, very good advice. Um, all right, well, we'll dive into uh, the the rapid fire uh, question portion of the, the program here, um, where we just kind of get to know you a little bit better and we'll leave it at that, um, but, or once we're done with that. So, um, some of the questions I'd like to ask you are, uh, well, one, why did you decide to do, so these are answers where you, if you can give a one word answer, some of them that's impossible, but you know, if you can, if you can give a one word answer or one sentence answer or kind of just a one paragraph answer. So (laughs) um, why did you decide to, why did you agree to do this podcast interview? One, I wanted to catch up with you, and two, um, I think that I have an interesting story of what it's like to go from being in 
the television business and transferring out of it and, you know, what that transition is like. Because I honestly get asked that question by a lot of the reporters that interview me. Got it. Um, all right, moving, moving forward. Um, what is the biggest misconception viewers have about on-air meteorologists? That they're reading from a teleprompter. No. Oh. Yeah, oh. everyone thinks we're reading from a teleprompter and we're not. It's completely ad-libbed. Right. Um, so there's never a teleprompter. Mm -mm. Nope. Uh, we put in information for closed captioning purposes, like we'll write out the forecast and everything uh, for closed captioning purposes. But your graphics are essentially your story. So you are supporting the graphics uh, by what you're saying. So no, it's completely ad-libbed and you're basically getting time cues in your ear to tell you how much time you have left to talk. Got it. Um, what is your favorite way to work out to try to stay healthy? I actually take dance class twice a week. Um, I take tap and jazz classes twice a week. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, none of that ballroom yeah. dancing from Penn State that you used to do. You know, I, I loved that class and I would totally take ballroom dance again. Like that was such a fun class. It's funny. That was like, that was like a really like a cult favorite thing at Penn State, the ballroom dance classes your senior year. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do it, but a lot of people did it. It was like a huge, huge thing, you know, Oh, you got to do ballroom dance. You got to do ballroom dance. Yeah. My um, ballroom dance class was a lot of fun too. So, I mean, I, we all had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why have you decided to stay in South Carolina and not like work your way back up to, you know, kind of where the region your family lives in? Well, you know, I, I never particularly loved Northeast Ohio. Um, I mean, it's, it's home. It's always going to be home. And, you know, my parents actually grew up outside Pittsburgh in Monroeville. Um, so, you know, Pittsburgh also kind of a little bit seems like home, but, you know, as, as I don't miss the winters. Um, I don't miss shoveling snow. I'd rather kind of be where it's a little bit warmer. And my parents actually just moved down to South Carolina a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're uh, pretty solidly there then. That's cool. I would say so. Yeah. Very nice. Um, what is your preferred method of intaking caffeine? Coffee every single day and multiple cups of it. <laughs> Hot or cold? It depends on the season. Um, you know, right now it's a toss up between hot and cold, but usually when I get to work in the morning, the first thing I do is make myself a cup of hot coffee. Yeah. Right now we're in that no man's land where you could kind of go hot <laughs> yeah. depending on the day. Yep. Uh, where's your favorite place you've ever traveled? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm one of those um, rare people who does not have a passport. Um, I need to get one. It's on my list of things to do. Uh, so a lot of my traveling has been done in the U.S., but um, I think I've gotten to see a lot of beautiful places in the U.S., and it's, it's, it's hard for me to pick one. Um, you know, I, my sister got married down in Key West and that was great. Um, you know, my uncle is out in Utah, so we've done a lot of, you know, stuff out in the Salt Lake City area. I, I just too many places to choose. I just love them all. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, get a passport. You should, you should get on that. Um, what's, what's it's your, on my list. <laughs> what's your, uh, favorite thing you've purchased in the last year or so, uh, that was a hundred dollars or less your favorite purchase. Ooh, um, let me think. Um, it would probably like, I'm one of those people who still likes to handwrite things. So I bought myself a like really nice planner to write everything out in. 
And people are like, you have a phone for that. You can do it on a calendar. Yes, I know I can, but I still like to see it on paper and I like to write things out. So probably a really nice planner. Okay. Where did you get it? Amazon. (laughs) Okay. Cool. Um, how did you know which kind to get? Cause like when you go on Amazon, sometimes there's like a million things that's overwhelming. Was it just like a recommended one or? One of my friends had actually bought one and I liked it. So I went on Amazon and got the same one she got. Ah, okay. Another friend who likes the old school methods of, uh, yeah. handwriting. I mean, I'm, I'm like that with yep. books. Like I, I, first of all, I don't read nearly enough and I'm, I'm trying to force myself to read more books and, and, you know, develop that joy of reading again that I had kind of more as a child, but um, cause I think it's really important, but, um, but I don't do Kindle or iPad reading. I, I, I love like a, just an old fashioned book in my hand. If I'm going to read, I, I, I don't know. I just can't do, I don't like the screens for that purpose. So I, I can understand you to some degree I on, hear you there. on, on that. Um, all right, moving forward. Um, what is something you bring with you every day to work that you must have with your, your job? I bring my makeup bag and a bottle of dry shampoo every single day dry shampoo so what what's the story behind the dry shampoo why is that necessary well here like here's the thing like i never know when a reporter is going to call and want to do an interview or a story or anything like that which is why i still bring my makeup bag to work with me every single day but like dry shampoo is like well if i have to hurry up and kind of fix my hair to go on air and it's just kind of looking a little crazy you know the dry shampoo actually gives it a little bit of volume so it's kind of helpful so ah, I carry, okay. yep, I carry a can of, I carry a can of dry shampoo and my makeup bag with me every single day. Nice. Those are, those are interesting answers. Um, you know, for, I, I would never guess that for an emergency management person. Um, what, uh, well, I just never know. <laughs> no, I totally understand it. I just wouldn't have guessed it. What, what, uh, TV show are you, are you streaming right now or recently on, you know, HBO, Netflix, Hulu, whatever? Uh, Queer Eye in Japan. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those shows that's just a heartwarming, feel-good show, and I feel like sometimes you need that, but I'm also waiting on The Crown to get started back up, season three on Netflix. I'm obsessed with that, so that'll be in the next, like, week or so that that'll start. Cool. Um, do you listen to podcasts, yes or no? I I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which one would you listen to the most? Do you find yourself listening to the most? <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who likes a lot of comedy and a lot of laughing. Um, I know a lot of people are into the more serious, you know, like, you know, murder, murder stuff on the podcast, but um, I listen to two a lot. I'm one of those people who watches a lot of Bravo shows and one, it's, it's mainly because of the hilarity of it. So there is a podcast that like makes fun of Bravo shows and it's called Watch What Crappin'. So I w- listen to that one. And I also listen to another one called Girls Gotta Eat. And they're both completely inappropriate a lot of the time, but they are, they are funny. Uh, Girls Gotta Eat more so talks about relationships and friendships and things like that. Okay. Nice. Um, Twitter, has it done more good or more bad overall for weather, like the field of meteorology and weather? You know, I, I, I'm going to go with good. Um, We can't be everywhere at the same time when things are happening so um, a lot of things get tweeted out, reported on Twitter weather-wise before you even get a chance to realize what's going on. So, and you obviously you have to make sure it's a verifiable source and it's, you know, whatnot, but a lot of things that you probably wouldn't otherwise see end up coming out on Twitter weather-wise. Yeah. Um, if you could have a billboard on the most highly traveled road in Greenville, 
county, South Carolina, that hundreds, if not thousands of people would see every day, and it could say anything on it, you know, personal, you know, that you choose, whether it's something personal about you or about emergency management, or just like a motivational quote, what would you want to have on that billboard? Ooh, you have tough questions. You know that? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's part of your job, right? Yeah, I got I to um, put that in here. Yep. <laughs> you know, I think, um, I think I would probably put something that says something along the lines of change your perspective. Because like we that. all kind of like, we kind of live in our own little, I guess, sandboxes. And it's the same thing, you know, when you're in emergency management, you're dealing with public safety, everyone's used to their own little playground, their own little sandbox. And sometimes they don't want to take a step out to look at things from another perspective. And I think that's how we learn. And that's how we grow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, this is this one is, um, it's kind of fill in the blank. So for me, it's like, I, you know, I would do like Bo is the blank of journalism. And I kind of like to say like Bo is the Jason Bourne of journalism. Um, so we'll do Jessica is the blank of the emergency management field. Like, you, so it's kind of like a fictional cool. ego that kind of either embodies the way you do your job or kind of the way you want to do your job. Hmm. Okay. So I would say Jessica is the Audrey Hepburn of emergency management. And the reason why I say this is because she just always had such a caring and giving heart. She always wanted to give and saw the importance in giving and how happy that makes people. So that's what I would say. Nice. I thought you were going to say, cause you bring dry shampoo to, to work and she, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they had dry shampoo back in her time. <laughs> Not invented yet. Um, all right. And uh, moving along, um, who is your favorite stand-up comedian? Oh, man. Um, that's a tough one. Um, I might probably go back like to the old school like comedy type stuff. Not old, old school, but like, I don't know. Jeff Fox where they always cracked me up as a kid. So I would maybe go back to that kind of era. Sure. Um, Jeff Fox, really. I haven't heard that name in a while, yeah. but yeah, he was, he was pretty yeah. big at, at one point for sure. He was, he was. What do you think is the best movie about journalism of all time? I know you're more of a weather meteorologist person, but uh, do you, do you, have you ever seen any journalism movies? Um, not too many of them. Okay, let's skip that because that, that's more of a... That, that well, was... I was going to say, regardless, like if we're going to talk about, you know, funny and funny kind of movies like Anchorman always like love Anchorman uh, yes, but also yeah. like I, I I will watch Twister over and over again and quote the entire thing uh, and I that, do it all the time that makes a lot of sense <laughs> uh, <laughs> your field uh from so many levels um okay and uh why did you not become a, a storm chaser by the way like you know if, if you love that movie you know because I mean I guess you 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 probably have done that to some extent or have you I have. Yeah, I actually have done it while I was working um, for KWES in Midland. I did it. And I actually, on one of my off days, took my mom storm chasing with me <laughs> up through Lubbock and up towards Amarillo and whatnot. And, you know, she was like, we're too close. Your car is going to get hailed on. I'm like, mom, it's still in the next county over. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> we can see it. But but a uh, funny story was, you know, this is 
I wasn't sure in college that I wanted to go into television. Um, I in, interned at WKBN in Youngstown with Don Guthrie and Paul Wetzel, and they are two of the most incredible uh, people to learn from. But, you know, I've, I wasn't sure that's really the route I wanted to go. And that I had talked earlier about how something fell through that summer before my last semester. And what it was was um, my, one of my professors and his colleagues, they were trying to get me onto that Storm Chasers show on Discovery. Oh, okay. And I had to, yeah, I had to go through, like, I had to send a bunch of videos and pictures and they told me to start lifting weights because I'd have to like lift a 50 pound probe out of a vehicle and all this stuff. And two weeks before they started filming, they decided to bring somebody's wife instead. And I was like, no, it was such a bummer because I really wanted to do it. Wow. Um, but, you know, but so that's, you know, that fell through and, you know, at that point, you know, Joe came and said, Hey, you know, I need somebody And at that point. That was the experience that I had. So that's what I went with. Wow. You were almost a reality star. Um, almost, almost. Who is your uh, favorite author? Favorite author. Or, or is there a Ooh. book that you've like a favorite book that you, that you have or that you've read the most times or given as a gift the most? You know, I I think I've probably read The Catcher in the Rye the most. Ah. Um, you know, read it read it in high school, and I I still go back and read it. It's one of those books. Like I have several books that I like to go back and reread. You know, every other year or so because I feel like I've grown and I look at it a different way each time, and that's one of them. Yeah, I I actually that's a very similar answer that I would I would give. Yeah, I love love that book for sure. Um, all right, uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. Rap or country? Country. All right. We'll end it there. So if people want to uh, check out what you're doing with uh, emergency management down in South Carolina, do you, do, do you guys have a website or like a Facebook page or a Twitter account or where, where can we, people connect with you? We do. Um, so on Facebook, um, we're Greenville County Emergency Management. On Twitter and Instagram, we are Greenville CO. EM. And then I do a lot of tweeting myself on, you know, just different weather and emergency management related things. And that's Jess, J-E-S-S, Stumpf, S-T-U-M-P-F, all one word. Great. All right. Well, that'll do it for uh, this episode of Reporter um, with a uh, former, well, uh, former TV meteorologist, uh, Jessica Stumpf. Um, Thanks a lot for taking the time out of your uh, Sunday to, uh, to do this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Good to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.